All right, so here we go. Next Sunday, we are farmers. Farmers plant crops and harvest crops. And we're believing for next Sunday that we're going to have a great harvest of healing next Sunday. So if you know somebody that needs to be healed, and I'm not talking about just a physical infirmity. I'm talking about Jesus paid for everything. If somebody's not saved, they need to be healed of being lost. If somebody's um, tormented in their lives, if they don't have peace, if they have uh, mental, psychological depression, I don't care what it is, Jesus paid for it. And if they're sick in their body, Jesus paid for it. It's all paid for. And we're going to claim it next Sunday for Jesus. Not crazy claim it. We're just going to claim it. He did it, and we're going to expect to see it happen, okay? All right, so when a farmer is going to have a harvest, he needs some stuff, right? He needs a couple things, probably a few more things than a couple things, but the couple things he needs that we're going to talk about today are good seed, right? If you plant rotten seed, you're not going to get a good crop or a good harvest, and you need good soil. If you put good seed on bad soil, we know the parable, it tells you that you don't get a good harvest, you don't get a good return. So today... We're going to talk about seed, and then we're going to till soil. Now, if you read the parable of the uh, seed and the sower, or the sower and the soils, you know that the soil is our hearts. It's literally the heart of the person that the sower is placing the seed down in. So the heart is the soil. We're going to get the soil ready today. All right, so seed, start there. Seed is the word of God, right? Remember, all this in the context of healing. Seed is the word of God. Um, I don't know if you're here when, when we taught that message, but we used the big orange, right? The beautiful orange, the man-made orange, but it didn't have any seed. It can't reproduce on its own. Seed, we're told, is the word of God. And we know that if we plant the word of God, we know we have good seed. So in the context of healing, let me read you some scriptures. Isaiah 53 In verse 5, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. So Isaiah almost, or really the Holy Spirit through the prophet Isaiah, almost summarizes the whole thing in that one verse. Our transgressions, our iniquities, our well-being. That well-being is actually the word shalom, the fullest word in the Hebrew language for anything you can imagine that's good is shalom. It's peace. It's, it's, it's just everything good. And by his scourging, or some translations, by his stripes, we are healed. That's a physical healing. We know that because in Matthew, I think it's chapter 8, they went over to Peter's house to have a dinner, but Peter's mom was sick. So Jesus healed her. It says she was physically healed of being sick. And then it says that that healing was the confirmation of this scripture in Isaiah. So if somebody says to you, well, yes, everybody gets healed when they go to heaven, they are absolutely right. But God meant that we would be healed now, in this life, on earth as it is in heaven. And he, he put that in there. He, Holy Spirit made that reference so that we would understand when we're praying for the sick and we don't see it, we won't make some wrong doctrine that says, okay, I'm not a failure. God really didn't mean now. He meant later. You can't say that because the scripture says, in this healing, this prophecy is fulfilled, okay? Good seed, God's word says that there will be healing. 
Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. In Mark chapter 6, it's interesting, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell a lot of the same stories, but they tell them from different perspectives. So in Mark, he takes way longer than that one or two verses to explain when he sends out the twelve. But he does a better job than Luke of saying what happened. So if you, if you look in Mark chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, you see what happened. He said, They went out preaching that men should repent, and they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. They healed people. They went out, they cast out demons, and they healed them. Just like the, just like the prophet prophesied in the Old Testament, just like the Messiah did himself, then he sent them out, and, and they did it. When our hope when our expectation, when our belief is in the word of God, we know that we can reap a harvest. So if scripture says that people will be healed by anointing with oil, by laying out of hands, by praying for the sick, if demons will get cast off because God's people do it, then that's good seed. And we're going to plant that seed in our ground today, all right? So in your heart, there's seed. It's God's word. You need to receive it into the soil of your heart. Next, what we're going to do now is we're going to till the soil, okay? Everybody believe that, that we got good seed down, right? The parable of the, um, the wheat and the tares, all of a sudden tares, tares are these, these weeds that look like wheat, and the master's workers start to see the tares coming up with the wheat and, and say to the master, what did you do, master? Did you plant bad seed? And he said, no, I planted good seed. The enemy came in and threw those weed seed, <laughs> weed seed, it's not, it sounds like a wepa. Uh, sorry. <laughs> oh, shoot. Now I'm going to be messed up. Um, <laughs> wind me back. Put that bad seed in there. So we just planted perfect seed because it's God's word and it's never wrong. Okay? Now, you might going to have some doubts. When you're pondering this week and you're praying, you might have some doubts because maybe you prayed for somebody and you didn't see them get healed or somebody told you, well, that's not for now, that's for later. That's the devil trying to throw those weed seeds into your heart and mess up the harvest that he's planning to have next week. So you hear those thoughts like that? They are not from heaven. They're from the enemy. And you take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Jesus Christ said that we'd heal. Anyone that won't stand with him, you put it down and you don't let it live in your mind because we're going to have good soil for next Sunday. All right, the soil. I'm still learning to breathe and talk. I said it earlier today. Faith, if you can make this mental picture, I should have drawn a real picture for Keith. Faith is like the soil that miracles happen in. If there's no faith in the soil, then it's hard for the miracles to grow. We know that because when Jesus went to his hometown, said uh, a prophet gets respect or honor everywhere but in his own hometown because they didn't believe because they knew him when he was just little Jesus growing up, running around, you know, playing soccer or whatever he did as a kid. They couldn't make the transition into him being this guy that, that had all this heavenly power. So not many miracles were done there because they had tears. They had bad seed in the heart of their belief, the soil of their heart. Faith is the soil that miracles grow in. Mark chapter 4 and verse 20. And those are the ones on whom... Seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. So we know 
that when you get that good seed, the word of God, on good soil, you reap a harvest of 30, 60, and 100 fold. So today the way we're going to till the soil is with testimonies. I should have put this scripture in my notes, but I think it's Revelation chapter 19, maybe verse 11, something like that. Um, The Bible says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Thank you, Teresa. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when we hear the testimony of what Jesus does, it becomes like this prophetic wind, and we can grab hold of it, a fragrance of prophecy that we can grab hold of, and then it stirs in us. Um, It's a great testimony. I'm not going to tell it. We don't have time. Um, Yes, I am. So I was at this thing at the Freedom Center, and I was working in the healing tent, and there was this little boy, and he came, and he was waiting and waiting for a certain person to pray for him, but they were busy. You know, they were really ministering to this one person, and finally his mom said, you know, maybe you guys could pray for him. So Teresa and I were going to pray for him. His name was Joey, um, and he had this just massive migraine headache. So we started explaining to Joey, you know, what we're going to do. We don't want to freak him out. We're going to touch you if that's okay. And, and we're going to wait a minute. It's not like, you know, we're lost. We're just listening for God to talk to us. And then we're going to pray. And he says, okay. So Teresa and I listen for the Holy Spirit and start to say, in the, and he just looks up. Well, he said, well, what's the matter? He said, it's gone. I'm thinking to myself, it can't be gone. I haven't prayed yet. You know, <laughs> you got to wait till I pray before you have your miracle, please. I said, really? He's like, yeah, it doesn't hurt anymore. It's completely gone. Well, he's the cutest kid, too. Well, so I'm excited. If you know me, it's like, whoa, i got to go tell somebody about a miracle. And I'm running all There's a 1,000 people on the field of the Freedom Center. And I run into my friend Lisa Taylor. And I start to tell her the story. I just start to tell her the story of what happened. And she says, I'm, I'm just demonstrating. Like, and I'm going to put my hand, and I pull my hand back, and she says, no, don't. And she puts my hand on her head. And I'm going... Wow, Lisa got weird since the last time I saw her. And somebody else that was standing with us, he caught what was going on. The testimony of Christ had become the spirit of prophecy for Lisa. And she was grabbing the prophetic message of Christ of what Jesus did. I didn't know it. She had a headache. And God was healing it just through hearing the story. So that's, mm, that's what's going to happen today. You're going to hear great miracles that God has done. And you need to grab them as that spirit of prophecy and let them feed your faith and let them, let them till that soil so that soil is rich so that when, when the miracles, God wants to do the miracles, we are going to be this great soil that he can plant his word in, okay? All right, enough from me. First one up is Kim Green and Parker and McKenna. Yay. Oh, I didn't even need to say it, but listen, clapping... Amen, hallelujah, wild and crazy cheering is not just okay, it's expected. All right? Okay, you got the ball. Go here. You want this to sit on? Okay. Okay. All right. Hi. (laughs) All right, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Kim Green, and my husband, Ben, and I have adopted 11 children in the last 11 years from all over the world. Um, That's not the miracle. (laughs) But these are two of them. This is Parker, and he's 10, and he was born in Korea. And this is McKenna, and she's 7, and she was also born in Korea. Um, They're actually our um, third and fourth adoptions. Our first two were Benjamin and Kaya, and 
they were, we just did it the old fashioned way where we do all the paperwork and we wait to be matched. And, um, and they were our kids. Well, after we brought home Kaya, we really felt God speaking to us to not just bring home the lost sheep, but also the broken ones, the ones that were waiting for family that got looked over and over and over and over again. And, um, Kaya had been home maybe three months, and I discovered this website with hundreds and hundreds of kids, photo listings of kids um, waiting to be adopted, and um, rainbowkids.com. And I had fallen in love with this little boy. His name was Han Min Su, which will be our Parker. And I prayed for a family for him for seven months, and I watched his file get passed from one agency to another. Eventually, all three big agencies in the country were looking for a family for him, and no one would adopt it. No one actually even requested his file for two years, almost two years. Um, It was August 2002, four months before he turned two, that I learned through a friend that he was going to be declared unadoptable, that um, they tried for two years, they tried their best, they were going to put him take him from the foster home that he was in and put him in an orphanage till he was 18. It just broke my heart because we had been praying for seven months for family for him. And God said, why not you? (laughs) And um, so we prayed. And um, the the reason he was waiting for a family um, was because he had something called hepatitis C. And if you don't know, there's no cure for hepatitis C. There's no vaccine for hep C. There is for A and B, but not C. Um, It's spread similarly similarly through, um, like, HIV, like only blood-to-blood contact, mother-child, or IV drug use. But still, it was scary enough for people to stay away. Um, But we just felt really huge amount of peace in our heart. Um, that he was our son, and we had prayed for him, and we had put that soil of faith um, through prayer for seven months. Um, And so anyway, we said yes without a dime in our bank account, and that day um, a huge check came to cover the beginning of um, his adoption fees. And the reason we had such peace is we knew that either God was going to give us the resources for him to thrive in our family and for Ben and I and the other kids to remain safe and not let it be transmitted, or he was going to heal him. And in the four months between we said yes and he came home, we saw God over and over and over. And somebody gave us first-class airplane tickets to um, Korea to go get him. It was just it was awesome, and a stranger. And so we went to Korea, or I went to Korea with a friend to get him. And that first night, um, we got him, and we took him back to uh, the room that we're staying at in the guest house. And he was, like, this tall. He was so cute. And he had this purple plaid suit on that his foster mom had dressed him up in to say goodbye to, to Korea and to her that he had, you know, been with her for almost two years. And um, we just laid hands on him, and we prayed <clears throat> that Hep C would go in the name of Jesus. And we prayed from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And we didn't have any evidence, but we just knew that we knew that we knew that he was healed that night. And so I couldn't get, wait to get back to the U.S. to get all the blood work and, you know, prove to everyone that God had healed him. And sure enough, we got back to the U.S. He had tons of blood work done. And keep in mind that... Every month, at least twice a month for two years, he had tested 
positive for hep C, um, and his liver inc- levels were increasing and all this other stuff. Well, the very first test that came back, it said no liver damage, no hep C in his entire body healed. And <laughs> yeah, the doctor didn't believe it though. <laughs> so he, yeah. So actually he did blood work for a year just to prove to the doctor that he actually was healed and he has had no issue with that at all. So yeah. And that's a blood illness. So, okay. Our second one was a different kind. Shortly after, well, a, about a year after Parker came home, I got an email from a director of this huge adoption agency in Minnesota who we had never actually used, but I had met her through a divine appointment while picking up Parker and kind of had befriended her. And she sent me an email out of the blue one day saying, can you turn around, honey? (laughs) Saying that um, she had this referral of a little girl and she was about to list her on Rainbow Kids because she kept getting passed over, passed over. And um, she thought she looked like a green. Were we interested in seeing her file? So if you know me, I said yes. And um, we went through all the medical reports, all the medical reports in Korea and this big, huge international adoption clinic in Minnesota reviewed her file, and they both said the same thing. that She was profoundly deaf. And she would be that way forever. Um, Moderate loss in one ear, severe loss in the other, and enough combined that it was profound loss. But we're like, okay, we had done baby signing with some of our other kids. We'll either learn sign language or God will heal her again because we just had this healing. So we just had complete peace. And as soon as we saw our picture, we knew that she was our daughter um, because we have the cutest kids. And we had peace and faith. Um, About a month after we had started her paperwork, after we had said yes to her, I got an email. We were in Florida and um, from the director. And she said, she had witnessed his miracle, keep in mind. Uh, She said, you are never going to believe this. But she went on to say, oh, I forgot to tell you. The reason that they knew she was profoundly deaf is because she had had several ABRs, which are these specialized hearing tests that they put them under anesthesia and they monitor the brain waves and whatever. They're very accurate. It's not just, you know, raise your hand if you can hear the beep. And she had had another um, ABR done in December right after we had said yes to her. And it came back completely normal, hearing both ears, no reason to question it. She's never had a hearing test, another hearing test since then. So healed. <laughs> so Pepsi, profound deafness healed in the name of Jesus. So, um, I just wanted to, these two things, um, they both, both of these miracles had two things in common. They both had obedience. We had to step out in order for them to receive their miracle and also faith. We had the faith to pray for the miracles. So as you're praying for next week, I pray for those two things, obedience and faith. And I need this paper because I have a quote to end with. Um, I heard this quote this week by Bill Johnson. I thought it was so perfect for this week. Jesus did not heal everyone, but he did heal everyone who came to him, and he healed everyone the Father led him to. So let that be our prayer this week. Yeah. Stay there just a minute. Clap. Good. I'm going to give this back to you in a second. Just raise your hands up this way. Because we got them up here, we might as well pray over them, right? Thank you, Jesus, for these children. And they sit here representing the other eight. 
and whoever the rest of them are that we haven't met yet. Lord, and we just pray your blessing over their lives. And we just say, eyes healed in the name of Jesus Christ. That these eyes are healed. That she won't need glasses anymore. That McKenna's eyes are going to be healed just like her ears were healed. And Lord, anything at all that Parker needs, we just ask that you give it to him. Anything at all that's outside the perfect order of heaven, we ask that you make it to align itself with heaven. And we say, in Jesus, Jesus, Jesus' name. And we just bless this whole family in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now you're done. Take it to whoever comes next. All right. I think, oh, go this way and take it. Because he's over here. So that was awesome, right? But we're only just getting started. This is Harold Cole. Harold's been coming to church on the street for, what, maybe a month now, right? Yeah? He's got an awesome testimony. So, Harold, you got the ball. Thank the Lord. Well, I, praise the Lord, I live across the lake from Pastor Pat, and he found out that I, I'd had a rough couple years. And so he, uh, I thank the Lord, he befriended me and invited me to church, invited me a part of it, and I've been here ever since, actually almost two months. So maybe you've seen me around, but it's a pleasure to be here. This church, actually, its roots have had a big impact in my life, both the Freedom Center and the church at, at Seymour, uh, Lake Road, or Seymour Road, where, you're, uh, where you have now, uh, has invested in my life for 18 years. My family and I were missionaries in Thailand and the Philippines, and both of those churches invested in us that whole time. And so it's a joy to be back here. I was born and raised in this area. I grew up on Lake Shannon, went to Linden Schools my whole life. My father built Lake Shannon, and so your dad makes a lake, you got to use it. And I grew up skiing there, and at age 16, I was the youngest professional skier ever hired at SeaWorld. And uh, for the next seven years, my motto was, why work when you could ski? It was a pretty good life. I was a happy-go-lucky ski bum. I had a little black hippie van set ski bum on the side, and that was me. And life was going good. But uh, there was a void in my life, and I came to know Jesus while I was a skier. And uh, in, in my boss's home was an old, retired Assembly God preacher that led me to the Lord and uh, changed my life. And I had a lot to c- compare it with because I didn't know what all was going to happen in my life. It was in 1984, I guess 26 years ago, December 22nd was my uh, 22nd birthday. I was reigning world champion freestyle jump skier. If they, yeah, there is the picture. So it's a little oblong there. But uh, I actually invented that trick 32 years ago at 16. I was first to do a gainer, a backflip off a ski jump. You go about 100 feet in the air. And I was a world champion at that, freestyle water ski jumping. And it, it goes good, but sometimes things can go wrong. And I was actually, it was my 22nd birthday, one minute world champion skier. The next minute, my life changed. I was jumping on a trampoline, something I'd done all my life. And I made a mistake in a double front flip, and the next minute... I laid in the middle of the trampoline, completely paralyzed. Now, I still don't know where my theology begins and ends on this. Uh, I don't know what, what God allowed, what the devil stole, but I know the minute I broke my neck, the Lord took over. There wasn't one Christian on that trampoline, but they knew my life. They knew that I came to Jesus, and they began p- praying to the God that I served. The ambulance came and scooped me up in a stretcher, took me to one of the top spinal units in the country, I was hoping for a pinched nerve, and they'd shake me around and get me out of there. But they did all the x-rays. They did the angiograms where they stick the, uh, shoot the dye down your spinal cord. And it came back that there was a complete blockage in my uh, fifth and sixth vertebrae. And they said, Harold, you have a complete blockage there. That's why you're paralyzed. 
And they said, now you're in one of the finest places. And they were actually pretty excited because they really felt that they're going to be able to stabilize me. And they're excited that I was going to live. And there was a lot of joy there. A lot of times when you break your neck, you die instantly. And uh, so they began to do all that they could to stabilize me. They took and uh, actually had hair then. And they shaved me like a mushroom haircut and uh, put bolts in either side of my head. And I was hooked up into traction. And they began to, to give their prognosis as the results came in. And uh, they told, shared with my mother that I would be in there six months to a year. They were going to do everything. They were going to have the best therapy. They were going to get me to move things. I was completely paralyzed from the shoulders down. I could shrug my shoulders. That was it. And they said I'd be there that long. And uh, they went on to share that, that I'd never walk again. The damage had already been done. There's not a neurosurgeon in the world at that time, probably still today, that could not repair the spinal cords once it was damaged. And I'm in a rotating bed that goes 90 degrees each way. I broke my neck on a Saturday, again, my birthday. And my church of 5,000, and this is where faith comes in, they heard about that little happy ski bum that went to their church, new Christian, that broke his neck. And they began to pray. And I've... I've shared in churches all over the country as a missionary, and I'll run into people at a church of 5,000 are spread all over, and I'll tell this story, and they'll say, Harold, we remember that story. We remember that Christmas. You know, our family prayed for you that Christmas. You know, we fasted for you that Christmas. Harold, you ruined our Christmas that year, they'll say. Can you imagine not eating on Christmas because you're praying for that happy little ski bum? And they began to pray, and they began to fast. And I can remember the nurse that was witnessing to me, or not witnessing to me, she was helping me. She was, you can't go to the bathroom unless someone goes to the bathroom for you. And so, you know, I'm trying to make jokes while this is going on. And I say, well, you think I'll ever be able to play the piano again? And she gets all upset. She knows one minute I'm world champion skier, next minute I'm a quadriplegic. Now she's thinking, oh, my gosh, she's a concert pianist, too. And I say, well, take it easy. I never could play the piano anyhow. And she's out there telling the orderlies that joke and they say, well, that's the oldest joke in the book. And she said, yeah, but he's paralyzed. And I say that to tell you that when we're weak, he's strong. And there was a peace that I just, it just was carrying me. And I had something very good to compare it to. See, this wasn't my first injury. In fact, in seven years working for SeaWorld, I worked two months longer for workman's comp than I did them. Inventing these tricks, I had a major injury every year. And uh, I had 17 dislocated shoulders, four shoulder operations, broken ankle or broken knees, uh, broken ankles, blown knees. I had four concussions, uh, broken ribs, just everything. And each injury, particularly the shoulders, it just, uh, I didn't handle it well. In fact, during that period, before I turned 21, it was uh, legal to drink. I'd already been thrown in jail seven times for drunkenness because that's how I handled it. I can remember facing another surgery and going in a hotel room without Jesus in my life, thinking I had enough drugs and alcohol to take my life. And now here I was completely paralyzed, no hope of ever walking again, and I had everything to live for because I knew where I was going. And that new body in heaven looked real good. I thought I took a lot for granted my whole life, and I was so excited about that. I can remember thinking they said you're going to live. I can remember thinking Joni Erickson's going to have to move over. I heard about this gal that uh, painted and sang, uh, painted with her teeth after she became paralyzed and sang when she wasn't supposed to get air in her lungs, and God used her. I said, Joni's going to have to move over. Harold Cole's going to have the best wheelchair ministry the world ever seen. And, you know, I wish I had that kind of faith today, but that's where I was then. I just was resting in God's hands. But, you know, 
I never once prayed that I ever walk again. I do not recommend that as theology. But there were people that were praying. Every one of my 11 pastors came and they anointed me with oil. They prayed the prayer of faith over me. That church was praying and fasting and it was Christmas Eve. Three days after being completely paralyzed, they'd already done a spinal fusion, put a piece of hip bone in the back of my neck to stabilize it so my head wouldn't fall off my shoulders. And they... And while I was there, I was still hooked up to all kinds of machines. As, as, yeah, you can see that there and rotating bed and everything. And while I'm there, a warmth came over me. And I was just praising God. I was praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. And I felt that warmth. And I, Jesus, I just felt his presence in that room. I didn't see him, but he was, he was just so close. And when I felt that warmth, I tried to move. Throughout the day, every day, they poked me with pins. I had no feeling or movement. And all of a sudden, I, I saw my leg come up. I saw my toes wiggling. My arms are waving. I let out a big yell. The nurse came running in. Praise the Lord. Christmas Eve, 3 o'clock in the morning. She threw her body across me. She'd never seen that. She later testified on the Seven Heart Club. She'd never seen that. She threw her body across to keep me from moving. Uh, they got the doctor on the phone. He said, you know, he seemed real confident. Well, he's confident I was going to live. And this Presbyterian guy came in. He said, Harold, you just made my Christmas. I didn't sleep a wink last night. Everyone had a burden. I'm telling you, prayer changes things, and it changed my life. I walked out of the hospital 13 days after being completely paralyzed, went right back to Bible school for my Christmas vacation. Amen? I've shared that many times because that's what we have as our testimony. And Pastor Pat asked me to share that this week, and he invited me to the Macklin's home for a Bible study and I was excited to go and we had all the food and knowing that I was going to share that I know it's powerful, I know what God does but I have another old ski bum injury those concussions came back and bit me about seven years ago while I was overseas trying to change the world, working on a doctorate uh, things began to happen and I'm telling you it, 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 it almost destroyed my life, it almost destroyed my family I, uh, I developed a, a Tourette's, and we didn't know. It took the longest time. It's just Harold's being stupid is all it was at first, and that will affect your family. When you've got a sweet little wife that anything comes out of your mouth that isn't of God, you know, you're, you're breaking the word, and it was rough. And, you know, it may sound funny, a Pentecostal preacher with Tourette's, and it is. Two years later after events, I can laugh about it good now, but it wasn't, it wasn't too funny then. And I'd begin to twitch and I'd do all kinds of things that you're supposed to be in control and I couldn't do it. And they finally, they did all the tests and they finally uh, came up. They Harold, you have acquired Tourette's, meaning you had to earn it. So those concussions, as your brain got older and you began to use it for once, said, uh, that's what's happened. And, uh, well, okay, God do a miracle, but God didn't do the miracle. And uh, it was bad. It was real bad. And uh, finally... They found an epilepsy medicine that cured me 80%. I was thankful for that. It wasn't the way I was used to God doing things in my life, but it's been very manageable since then. And I really haven't prayed for it a whole lot since. I've, well, that, that's the way God's going to do it. I can live with this. There's some grace I'm learning through this. Didn't really think a whole lot. It's very manageable for me. It's usually in the morning, in the evening, when I'm alone. Uh, you know, it, it, when I'm active, it just doesn't really act up. But I go to the prayer meeting, and during the worship... I start twitching like I haven't in five years. And I'm like, you know, fortunately it was a Pentecostal prayer meeting and no one was too upset about it. 
But I'm thinking, and I really wasn't, but I'm thinking, why is this happening now? I'm, I don't have any stress on my mind. Why is this happening? And I just, I just felt like at the end of it, I said, you know, God wants to do a fresh thing here. And, and I had enough faith, and I fell out in the room, and I said, I just need you guys to pray for me. And they began to pray, and, and uh, a sister prayed for me. And then I remember when Keith was praying, and I was still twitching while they were praying. And uh, he, he just said the word forgiveness. And normally, you know, I know a lot of healing can be hindered when you're not forgiving anyone. But he didn't use it in that term. He just said forgiveness. And as I think about that now, because I didn't feel warmth, I just felt like something released. I just felt like I was relaxed and the twitching quit. And I think it was God, as I think about it now, was saying, accept my forgiveness. And I haven't twitched since then. I've gone through two mornings. I'm not, I wasn't going to jump up right then, but, you know, time will tell. And God's healed me. I haven't babbled the last two mornings and, or the evenings when it usually is worst. And, and that's been seven years that I've done it every day, even with medication. So I just praise God, and I just thank Him for everything. <laughs> yeah, baby. I'm sitting over there thinking, I'm the guy that struggles with God's timing. I'm like the right now guy, right? And I never understand why not right now. But maybe I do understand sometimes why not right now. And I think maybe it's because God wants this soil to be really, really good. Really, really good. So the first two testimonies that we've heard are um, physical healings, right? Literal physical healings in, in their bodies. The next one, remember, Jesus paid for everything, right? Everything. Salvation deliverance, physical healing, the whole thing. The next one speaks to um, deliverance. Krista, you ready? It's muted. Hi. Okay, I won't dilly-dally because I was given time limit. That's so mean to me. All right, I'm going to jump right in if you guys don't mind. Uh, I was um, not really raised very religious. We didn't really go to church, Christmas, Easter, that kind of thing. Uh, but my mom had a really good spiritual relationship with God. And the one thing she always uh, told my sister and me was um, God made a promise. And if you ever need anything, you just talk to him. And so that's really all I knew. I didn't know scripture. I didn't really know much. I just knew to talk to God. And I kind of took it to a whole new level when I was little. And he was kind of like my imaginary friend. He just came with me everywhere. And I played with God. And I talked to God. And um, so that was my my little friend. Um, From the time I was three until I was about eight years old, my dad sexually abused me. And... um, I would lay in bed every night, and I'd ask God for help, because that's what I was supposed to do. And eventually, I just stopped asking, because it wasn't working. So I became a very angry child, <laughs> not on the outside, but on the inside. I put up a really good facade, um, but on the inside, I was very angry. I was mad at my dad for doing what he did. I was mad at my mom for never knowing what was going on in our house. I was mad at my sister because it was me, not her. I was mad at God because he didn't keep his promise. 
happened when I was about five, I started having nightmares. And they progressively um, became more and more frequent until I had a very rare case of um, reoccurring night terrors that doctors couldn't figure out. <laughs> and um, they weren't just normal nightmares. They were like thrashing, screaming, crying, sweating <laughs> night terrors. So not only was I an angry kid, but now I was a tired kid because <laughs> I never slept. Um, by the time I got to college, I had still never told anyone anything. That's my kid. Yeah. And um, I, <laughs> I was miserable. I was sad and angry and suicidal. <laughs> and I was just a disaster. Um, I spent my first three years of college in Florida where I grew up. And uh, finally, after my third year of college, I decided I needed a change. I was just going to run away from life, from everything. So I came to Michigan. <laughs> and believe it or not, life still goes on in Michigan. I, I didn't think so either, but it does. Um, so running away didn't really help much. Uh, but there's one good thing that came out of Michigan, and that was that I met my husband. And he saved my life. When I first met Ryan, he was just so warm, and I trusted him, and so I told him everything. And I never told anyone before. And he didn't run away from me. <laughs> that was really cool. <laughs> he didn't look at me differently, and he didn't leave, and he just kept loving me. Um, and the way he kept loving me was by talking to me about God, which I was like, oh gosh, man, I really like this guy. <sighs> now he's got to ruin it with God. But I kind of stroked his little God ego for a while, and I put up with it. And he invited me to church one day, and I'm like, oh gosh, now i got to go to church. So he invites me to the Freedom Center, and I go, and I remember I stood there with my arms folded, and I'm like, I am not singing to this music. These people are nuts. This place is a cult. I'm getting out of here. So service ended, and I took off. See you later. Thanks. Not coming back. Um, and I got in my car, and I got as far as the Target parking lot. And I called Ryan, bawling. I said, I can't leave. And he's like, what do you mean you can't leave? And I'm like, I physically like cannot get on the highway. He's like, well, come on back. So I went back to the Freedom Center, and Ryan and Teresa and I sat in my car for about two hours. Uh, and then we took it back to their living room when I was almost out of gas. And um, that's where I spent a lot of time the next couple months, in the Brady's living room. That's where they ministered to me and loved on me and talked to me. And that's where I found Christ. And i got to be honest, I don't really think um, when I said yes to God that I knew what I was saying because in my mind what it really was was a huge room of loving happy people to talk to that weren't going to judge me and that's what I needed at that time I just needed to talk and that's all I knew I didn't know anything about God um so I talked I talked a lot to everybody and um at my school at Oakland University they had um a Christian club within our theater department 
and they'd get together like once a week and pray with each other and stuff. And um, they had an open mic night one night. And so a bunch of my friends were going. They were going to sing and read poetry, and they invited me to open mic. And so I went and listened and hung out. And the MC um, says, okay, last call, anybody that wants to get up. And, you know, I'm looking around, cool. And then I hear this voice in my head and says, get up there. I'm like, What? I'm not, I don't have anything prepared. I'm not, I don't sing. I don't read poetry. What are you talking about? And he's like, no, get up there and tell him everything. And before I knew it, um, on a stool, on the stage, lights in my face, microphone in my hand, word vomit. I just told him everything. <laughs> and there was a point when I was talking, I said to them, I am so angry at my dad. And as I said the words, this anger, this weight just lifted off of me. And I said, I'm so mad at God. And it just went. And I said, I am so tired of being sad all the time. And it just left. And I went home that night in awe, like, what the heck just happened? And I turned some worship music on and I laid down in bed, closed my eyes and I start praying. And I know this is going to sound crazy, but I started floating. I know there was no witness in the room to prove this, but I started floating. I don't know if it was physical floating or if it was mental, emotional floating, but I couldn't feel the bed under my body. And I just laid there with my eyes shut, afraid to open them because I didn't want it to end. And I fell asleep, and I woke up in the morning, which to anybody else out there is just normal everyday routine. But to me, it was the first time in 15 years that I slept. And I didn't have a nightmare, and I haven't had one since. And I remember I called Pat the next morning, and I said... It's like I'm seeing the world in color for the first time. Like this, this freedom, this joy that I'd never experienced before. So I, I went through a couple years, you know, and Ryan and Pat and Teresa just really ministered to me. Um, and Ryan and I got engaged and I called my dad and I said, Dad, I'm getting married. I hate the things that you did to me. But I forgive you. And I want you to walk me down the aisle. And he did. I've got so much to go. I'm not even a quarter of the way where I should be, but... It can happen. And the thing that's key for me is I just, I tell myself all the time, just shut up and listen, Krista. Because one day you'll hear that voice that's going to say, get up on that stage and tell Andre to your closest friends your most darkest intimate secrets that you've only ever told one person. And that's going to be the time. 
It's all in his time. And Kim said it, obey. And that's what I remind myself of all the time. Just listen and obey. That's all I got. <laughs> all right. Come on. <laughs> Can somebody say Jesus? I love you. Oh, man. Wow. You guys are going to have plow marks all on the underside of your shirts today. All right, one more to go, and then a, a quick word, and then we'll be finished. All right? Good so far? Huh? How's your soil? It's ready to go. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Shirley Macklin, and there's my husband already <laughs> waving. Uh, I was born in an Italian family and uh, with six kids, and we went to church every single Sunday all my life because we thought if you missed, you know, you'd go to hell. <laughs> anyway, well, well I, I mean, I could stay home. If I was really, really sick, they let me stay home. But anyway, so I knew there was a God and, and there was a Jesus 2,000 miles up there somewhere, uh, but I never had that personal relationship, the joy. I mean, that, you know, when you become born again. So when I was 37, uh, we had hockey all our life. We had four of them playing hockey, and Walt and the three boys. And uh, a hockey mom one day said to me, she started to, to witness a little to me, but I didn't recognize it. She was just saying about God a little bit. But she asked me, would, would I go to heaven? If I died tonight and I would go, well, here's, let's see, the right hand is good. The left hand, there's a couple bad things, you know. And she said, no, that's not it. It's, it's a personal relationship with Jesus, you know, that you got to get him in your heart. And um, I said, yeah, okay, I, I'll, I'll ask him tonight. Well, the next morning I woke up and I was crying my head off. I mean, it, it just took. It really took because I heard the truth. I was thinking, how am I going to go to heaven if I'm doing this? But I know I might because I do that. So anyway, I was so excited about uh, being born again. So I started to tell my family, and of course, they're all Catholic, and they thought I was nuts. I mean, they just said, oh, that's a cult. That's nothing. You know, don't worry about it. Well, I, let's see, that was in September of 79. And by, it was Valentine's Day the next year, I had already gone, I was going to the Catholic Church still, but somebody told me there was a prayer, a spirit-filled prayer group at the uh, church on Monday nights. And so I got there, and I was there for a couple months, and I heard people singing, and I know it wasn't in English, and I knew it was something and I, I wasn't afraid because I knew it was from God. And I asked somebody what it was, and they said, we we're praying in the Spirit. So I asked for some literature, and somebody gave me a Kenneth Hagin little book, real tiny, just like this, and it said, Why Tongues? So I was home during the day, and Walt's business happened to be in the house at that time for 10 years, and I was the secretary. And I just want to tell you something I am not a good secretary because I there's something about ADD makes you 
makes you not remember things. And that's, I grew up as that. I couldn't, when I was in third grade, all of a sudden I couldn't catch on. I couldn't, everybody was going too fast for me, the teachers. So what I did was I put my fingers, my my thumb here and my finger on this side, and I'd put my head down and I would cheat out of either side of my eyes and nobody saw me. So it was a miracle of God that I even went through high school. I mean, because when I went to high school, I would say, God, you know, I wasn't even born again. God, I got to catch these teachers as they talk. I just can't remember anything. Every semester, within two weeks, I was gone. It was just, I was lost. And I, you know, I had to cheat just to stay alive in school. You know, I think I passed with an A in jewelry because Walt was in my class. (laughs) And, you know, I'd get a C and a D. And I'd go to summer school every single year for, you know, so it was hard, but nobody knew. My parents didn't know. We were a, a family of six kids, and, you know, and they were Italian, and they didn't even think about college, so we weren't going there. So anyway, that, that just went on all my life. And um, so when we went to Hidden Springs Church, that was one in Hull, we went there for 27 years. And if you're there for 27 years, you kind of work up the scale of doing things, you know, Walt ended up being the head of the men's ministry, and I was the head of the women's, which I have no idea how I got there. I could, you know, I couldn't remember anything or do it, but they voted me, and so I go, this must be God. I was born again then. Anyway, back to the little book I was reading, Why Tongues, and I was yearning to know God better. I mean, really, really, really yearning. I said, God, if this is it, let me understand this book and under, you know, remember. And I was reading it, and somewhere along the line, all of a sudden, this heat just went through my whole body. I mean, I knew it was God. I just held on to my chair. And all of a sudden, I started to speak in tongues. But it came out 100 miles an hour. You know when you're freezing and your teeth are chattering? Well, that's what happened. It was just shooting out. I couldn't stop it. It was going like this, and it was going, you know, and it was words, though, in it. And um, I was so excited, and it was Valentine's Day, and I had to go to my fifth-grade son's class, you know, bring cookies and stuff. And I go, how am I going to do this, you know? So I got to school, and I was biting my teeth really hard like this, you know? And I and they saw me smiling, but anyway, I got through that. You know, I turned turn my head every once in a while, and it started to come out. And then I was on my way home, and I pulled in the driveway, and Walt and one of the guys that worked for him was standing right in the driveway because his shop was on our property. And all he saw was this. I'm, I'm not kidding. I had a smile from here to here, and I couldn't shut it down, couldn't shut my mouth down. And the guy looks at Walt and says, what is wrong with your wife, you know? <laughs> And so I just came in the house, and it just would not shut down. I was able to make dinner. The kids came in. Walt came in. And I started to cry because they heard me going, and they knew Mom did not do another language. That was just it, you know. So I I cried through telling them that I got God in my heart or Jesus. You know, it's, it's all coming. Well, it was there. So they knew something was true. But they still, Walt says, well, why don't you just go 
preach somewhere and just leave and become a priest or whatever you want. He uses for a priest, you know. We are still Catholic. So anyway, we got through that. But I started to go see Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, you know, Benny Hinn, all those people I would go. And um, he accidentally got spirit-filled from Kenneth Copeland one night. <laughs> so now he kind of could come, you know, and think and pray with, you know, it, it worked. So anyway, um, I had allergies as a kid, just in um, hay fever. So I started to get it really bad when I was probably, I don't know, I came, we became Christians when we were 37. And I think this was maybe five, six, seven years later. I started taking shots because it was so bad. One time I went to the doctors, and you always have to wait 10, 15 minutes. Well, I didn't, you know, just to see if you get a reaction. I headed for home, and I did have a reaction. My head starts banging back and forth, and it, it starts swelling my face. And I sat down, and I was praying in the spirit, of course. It was really coming up. I clicked on the tel- um, television. And um, Roberts, there goes the ADD. I'll be back in a second. Hold on. <laughs> um, no, no, not Earl Roberts. 700 Club. I know who it is. It's just, thank you. See, my, you know, my kids do this, help me all the time, finish my sentences. Praise God, you know. Uh, and he said, there is a lady out there right now that has allergies in her eyes, and she's been rubbing them so bad. You've got water in between the eyelids, I mean, between the skin of your eyes, and you just came from the doctors, and you, you overdosed on your, on your uh, shot. <laughs> and so he says, if you raise your right hand, God's going to kill you. And, of course, that hand went up right there, and that very second my hand went up, Allergies were gone and have never come back, ever, ever. I mean, it was instant, okay? So, and then my, my son, David, well, he was playing soccer, and somebody stepped on, his, stepped on his foot, right across his foot, and the guys dragged him home, you know, like this, you know. And he laid on the couch, and he had three boyfriends there, and he, David wasn't a Christian at that time, and he laid on the couch, and I went up to him. I said, can I pray with you? And he goes, Rolls his eyes, and he said, yeah, sure, Mom. You know, I mean, he's embarrassed, but yet I was his mom. So I laid hands on him and prayed in the name of Jesus, you know, to be healed. He, he died 10,000, I mean, 10,000. He d- died 2,000 years ago for you to be healed if you receive it. In a half hour, he was up, and he was playing football. The foot that was this big went down to nothing. So he was healed at that moment. And then, then I know, it's amazing because I was so excited. I believed. I didn't have garbage in my head. When, when, you're, when, you're, when you live very, very simple in your head, believe me, when the truth comes in, it's so good to grab onto it. And that's what I was doing. So there was one more time. Um, I do a lot of yard work. So I was raking and raking. And for a couple years, you know, if you had a wishbone, it felt like the wishbone was being spread apart right right here. So I went to the doctor, and he says, oh, my gosh, he x-rayed and everything. You have rheumatoid arthritis in here. And it's like your bones are together, but they're fuzzy, you know. They're really wearing out or whatever it does, you know. So um, 
I go, oh, I know. And, and, and the next day, it's got worse and worse. I had to tie my arm behind my back just to separate that, you know, so I could have some relief. So Walt says, I'm taking you to the doctors. And I said, no, you can't. I hurt so bad. I can't even get back in a car, you know. So that night, I stayed on that a chair, a lazy boy chair, and I was just praying in the spirit all night long. I could not go to sleep because of the pain. So it got to be where I couldn't pray in the spirit anymore. All I could do is say, Jesus, Jesus. And every time, if I blinked my eye, it was like a knife jabbing into me. So I, could har- I couldn't even say Jesus anymore. And Walt gets up, and he's in the shower, and he's going to grab me up and take me to the hospital. And I, and I clicked on the television. <laughs> And Oral Roberts comes on and said, there is a lady that has her arm tied around the back, and she has rheumatoid arthritis, and every time she blinks, it's like a knife that jabs into her. And and he said, if you raise your right hand, you're going to be healed. Hallelujah. And I did. And the second I raised my hand, it just opened up completely. And we were in church within an hour and a half with my arms So he does heal and he just believe because when you get the word in you and you're yearning for the truth, it comes about. Amen. Amen. And so I'm on fire again since my house two nights ago (laughs) and I'm just ready. All right. Thank you, Shirley. Wow. I think, I think we could almost tell Dr. Yeboa to stay home next week, but we're not going to do it, are we? Okay. Just a little bit more and we'll be done. We know God's word, right? We've been reading the Gospels now for, I don't know, almost through this week we'll finish the fourth one. So we'll have gone through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together. You've seen all the miracles, right? God, through Isaiah, prophesied healing. Messiah Jesus came and he healed. Jesus empowered his disciples, and they healed, right? He sent out the 12, he sent out the 70. Jesus commissioned his church to heal, right? That's us. And then Jesus said, give me the John 14 scripture. You see here at the beginning where it says, truly, truly, when you see that in the Bible, it's not a stuttering person, they didn't have exclamation marks and bold and underline and italics. Whenever somebody said something with great emphasis, they would take and put the word in there twice. Only twice in the Bible is, is the emphasis taken to the third level. And it's, and it's the same word each time. It's the seraphim in heaven, in the throne room, screaming holy. They're not going holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy. They're, they're screaming holy so loud that it shakes the doorposts of heaven. So when you see truly, truly, or verily, verily, what, what you're seeing is Jesus speaking with great emphasis, right? And Jesus says, truly, truly, or truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. He's talking to us, okay? So Jesus said it. And then the church did it. Let's look at Acts chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Remember Jesus' miracles, right? And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number to such an extent 
that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Jesus is, there's no recorded instance where Jesus' shadow healed people, where, where the anointed one would just walk past the sick, and if his shadow would come across them, they'd be healed, that the demons would be cast out. Let's look at Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. Paul, you will do greater things than these. Paul didn't have to be there. They just, they just take his apron off and carry it over to a demon-possessed person and the anointing that stayed on the apron was enough to chase off the demon or the handkerchief to heal the sick person. Greater things than these you will do. Okay? Now, not yet, I'll tell you. I'm not claiming this is God. I'm not claiming it's prophecy. But I like it, what I'm about to show you. I want you to read. First, I want you to think about what are we doing next week? We're bringing sick people here, right? We're bringing them here to this place, believing they're going to get healed. I want you to read the Acts chapter 5 scriptures again. And I've put a little emphasis in there to what I saw this morning when I was sitting back there putting them up. Go ahead, Dana. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their numbers to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots. C-O-T-S, cots. Church on the street. I'm telling you, they prophesied next Sunday. They laid them on cots. They came here and they put them right on top of you and they got healed. And pallets, I don't know where we're going to get pallets, but I don't think we need them, because we got cots, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on them, and they'd be healed. I guess that was the emphasis added, too. I don't know if that does anything for you, but it's pretty interesting what's going on, right? Harold, for two years, or however long since he started his medication, never a day where he didn't have the symptoms from this thing that, and, when, and if you weren't there at the Engberg's uh, group, it was at the Macklin's house, but it was Engberg's small group, you weren't there, but... There was real, I mean, the Holy Spirit was there. There was praying in the Spirit, laying hands on him. And a woman was so burdened that she went in the other room and was just weeping, just, just weeping because the, the power of God. And she came over and she laid hands on him and she started prophesying that this thing is done. I mean, it wasn't like you're, you're just, hey, oh, Jesus, if you could just heal him. I mean, and that's a great prayer. We should pray it. But literally, and now he's gone two days, or at least two mornings, not maybe two full days, and he hasn't had any symptoms, Okay. Two days without any symptoms. Come on. What's that? <laughs> Isaiah needs tear ducts. His right eye's been perfect now for two days. Oh my gosh. God, I don't want to be surprised. I just want to be expected. Yay, clap. Okay. So this week, here's what I'm asking you to do. Oh, my stomach's just all fluttery. <laughs> we talked about fasting. Fasting, it hurts. It'll cost you something. You'll wish you weren't fasting, but you'll be glad you did. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Between now and next Sunday, you break the fast on Sunday, not before, either one meal or two meals a day, 
or more if the Lord... Now listen, if you've got a health problem and, or your blood sugar is messed up or something, you use wisdom how you fast. But I'm asking you at least a meal a day. If you feel like you can do it, do two meals a day. And if the Holy Spirit leads you someplace else, then go where he says. All right? While you're fasting, pray. And if you don't know what to pray, just think about Jesus. Think about the times that he healed people. Open your Bible. Read the scriptures in Acts chapter 5. Read the scriptures where Peter's shadow and Paul's handkerchiefs and all the miracles that happened, Philip, uh, all of it. Just read it, ponder it. Come next week, believe in. Come next week, believe in. The Bible says we're to walk by faith and not by sight. So that's what we're going to do. Remember I talked to you a little bit earlier uh, at the beginning of the service that there's good seed and there's bad seed. And there's a good sower and there's a bad sower. Jesus is the one who plants the good seed. The enemy is the one who plants those tares. Try to get those weeds to grow up in your, in your thinking. So you be conscious. Holy Spirit, I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, that we would be so sensitive to your spirit that you'll stir us when that wrong seed's to be planted. And by faith, we'll cast that thought down and replace it with the truth of your word, Lord. And we just declare that your power will come, that many people are going to be healed, many people are going to be delivered, and the lost are going to come home, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Man, wow. Okay, well, hey, we're done. You guys are awesome. Sorry that we kept you late. Um, have an awesome week. Come tonight if you want. We're going to go over the, uh, the chapters in John. And just keep believing, keep believing. Keep that good soil of yours healthy. All right.